Where you set your mind, that's where you'll go. Set your mind on money, you'll worship the God of money. Set your mind on sex, you'll worship sex. Set your mind on anything of this world, you're worshiping this world. We have to set our mind on what? Things above. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopart.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, right at verse 7 there, let's begin reading. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Verse 7, But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom. When we see here in chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, when it talks about the woman, we say that that's Israel. And we talk about Satan, that's, or the dragon, that's Satan. And Satan, the context is that Satan wants to devour Israel. All right? That's a very important context for us. Now, here's the reason why. Right at verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Now, what's it talking about? There's a war in heaven. Does that surprise you? Well, before I kind of understood these scriptures, it really surprised me. What do you mean, war in heaven? I thought heaven is a place where, you know, you kind of go up there and you kind of play the harp on the cloud. No, that's not what we're going to be doing in heaven, right? But that's kind of the picture. It's serene, right? It's all peaceful. Well, you know what? It's the presence of God for sure, but there's a lot happening. And really, we're going to talk about this. We actually referred to this prior, how Satan has access to heaven. Did you know that? Right? here On the here and now, Satan has access to how? How does he have access to heaven? Well, he's the accuser of the brethren, which we see in our passage right here in verse 10. He's the accuser of the brethren. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, the accuser of the brethren. What brethren is he talking about? He's talking about the church? Or he's talking about Israel? I want to punch this in the back of your mind. Where's the church at this point in the tribulation? They're with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So is Satan accusing them? No, I don't think so. So who's this brethren? Let me plant that in the back of your mind because we know this, right? We quote that scripture all the time. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now, he is. And I think we can use this verse, even though it's specific, right, to the time of the tribulation. Because before the rapture of the church, that's what he's doing for the church as well. I think we can put those things together. But really, this is the, this is the verse people quote. He's the accuser of the brethren. But I want you to note the context here, the immediate context. Where's the church at this time? And they're in the presence of the Lord, the rapture, right? So who's he accusing? Well, it's either the, those that are in the tribulation, the tribulation saints, or it would be the nation of Israel. Think about it. Now, does that fit the context here? It does. We're going to talk about it when we get to this passage, but I want to underscore this in verse 7. It says, And war broke out in heaven. There's a war between 
Michael, who's a high archangel, right? And the good angels and the dragon, which we know as Satan, and his cohorts, the bad angels. There's a fight. And there's a fight. And we note this as we read further down that they're cast out. Michael and his angels, they win the war. There's a battle in heaven. Now, God is in heaven. That's where he dwells. He doesn't just dwell in heaven, but that's where he dwells, right, supremely, right? And so he's in control over all things. But, you know, Satan has access to heaven to accuse the brethren. We see that all as an example in the book of Job, right? He's accusing Job before God. Very interesting when you kind of take that account. He has access, right? He roams the earth to and fro. He's looking for people to devour, but he has access to heaven. And how he tries to take down people, right, that are following God is he accuses them before God. Very interesting, right? And so we see here, though, he's cast out. And because he's cast out, no longer does he have access to heaven. And he's cast out by Michael, one of the archangels, and the good angels, right? The faithful angels. And so there's this great war. There's a battle. And all that to underscore, do you know that it is a spiritual battle more than it is a physical battle? Now, we do have physical battles, right? But I would just share with you the physical battles, I would just say that they're manifest because of the spiritual battle. Why, did, why didn't Adam and Eve die? Did they die f physically first or spiritually first? They died spiritually first, right? They ate of the forbidden fruit and they died, it said. Now, they didn't die physically until many years later. But physical death, it oftentimes, when we see it in Scripture, right, it follows something that's died spiritually. Okay, so there's a spiritual battle. And Ephesians chapter 6 really underscores it. I want to read that too because really our battle people as Christians, like we're in the physical realm, right? And that's how we operate. That's how this world operates. But really it's a battle spiritually. And that is so important to underscore. There's a spiritual battle even in heaven. And we see that, right? Example right here. And so if you go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to just read this. Um, most of you know this scripture, but this is at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. It says in verse, uh, verse 10 through 12, he says, Finally, my brethren, Paul, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So he's teaching us how to be strong. You want to be strong in this life of faith? Well, he's teaching us how to be strong. He's saying, as you're strong spiritually, right? That you're going you're to be strong. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, of the Lord's might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So what are the wiles of the devil? For us as Christians, he's writing to Christians here. For us as Christians, it's spiritual, right? The wiles of the devil, they're spiritual. Now, they can manifest themselves physically. But the wiles of the devil are spiritual. And I would just share with you, I'm going to share with scriptures at the end, how the devil deceives and how the devil tempts. And how the devil is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Right? And so when we become friends of the world, what do we do? We become enemies of God. So scripture tells us. How many are friends of this world? Now I would say a lot of us are. What does the Bible teach us? We're not to be of this world, right? When we're born again, we have, a, we have a new birth. We're in this world now, but not of this world. For of what? The noble birth of Christ. Right? And so our battle is spiritual. And so he says in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. 
against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's spiritual, isn't it? For the Christian, that's spiritual. And then he goes on and he describes the whole armor that you're supposed to put on. You can read that in your own time. But I want to underscore verse 18. As he describes all the armor, he, talk, he, he ends with praying. He says, praying always. How do you pray always, people? Is that a prayer meeting? Well, those are good things. But you notice sometimes at prayer meetings, people spend more time talking about what's going on in their lives, and then they spend the last 10 minutes in prayer. You ever notice that? How do you pray without ceasing? Well, it's a, it's a consciousness of speaking to the Lord. You know, you can be praying when you're driving. Now, you don't have to close your eyes, right? That'd be illegal. But you can be having some worship music on, and you can be just speaking to the Lord and listening to the Lord. You know, i got to tell you, you know, I love to drive. Not in traffic, but I love to drive because that's time that I can't answer the phone. I can't text. All I can do is listen to your worship music and hear from the Lord. I mean, that's a great time, right? You can pray without ceasing. You can go about your day at work, right? You can be speaking to the Lord. You can be listening to the Lord. Now, you do your work for sure, right? But this is the prayer without ceasing. So he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So he's speaking of the battle itself, <laughs> the spiritual battle. It's against all these, what, spiritual beings. There's darkness, right? And how do we enter into that battle? Well, we put on the armor, but the entering of the battle is actually prayer, is the time in prayer, okay? So I want to underscore that to you because that takes us to the here and now. That's how we apply this. Because when it says in chapter 12, verse 7, and war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. What he's referring to is the time when this time of how Satan attacks, it's actually, it's actually ended. Okay? He has access to heaven now to accuse the brethren, to slander the brethren. And there's various ways that he does that. As a matter of fact, when you look at the definition of, of the word devil, let me give you the definition of devil. I think I wrote down here. Yeah. In Hebrew, it means adversary. That's, uh, that's the word Satan. Satan is a Hebrew word. It, mean, it means adversary. So, right? Your adversary works against you. But it's interesting, the word devil is diabolus. It means slanderer. It means a defamer, a false accuser. Now, let me ask you this. You ever been defamed or falsely accused? That's of Satan. And so, how does Satan accuse us before God? Well, I've always wondered this. So I, I don't actually, for me, I don't see Satan come down and start to slander me or accuse me or defame me. But you know how he does it? Through other people gossiping. That's how he does it. Isn't that how he does it? Isn't that how he does it? You see, I want you to put this together. When Satan goes up before God to accuse the brethren, you know what he does? He says, well, you know what? I'm going to find fault, right, with that person that, that the Lord calls his child, right? And I'm going to have people around him gossip about him, talk about him, defame him. That's what I have him do. How else is Satan going to work, right? Satan's not going to come down and start to, you know, point fingers. He's going to use people that are not walking with the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Now, you think about how they did it with Job. Let, let's look at Job, right? Satan went up before God and says, hey, I'm going to defame Job. He's only serving you because of the hedge of protection he puts on you. I'm going to defame him. Now, how did he do that? Well, we know that 
the Lord allowed him to touch his physical body. But I got to tell you, as hard as that was, you know it was even harder, I think? It was obviously defamed by his friends. Can you imagine, right? Your best friends, right? They said, you know, there's something wrong with you. You must be doing this. You must, and Job said, my goodness, I haven't done anything. But they're saying, thus say the Lord. You, you see how Satan uses? And that's why I think God has such harsh judgment upon his friends. Because Satan, right, his name means to defame, to falsely accuse. But he uses what? He uses people that are around you to falsely accuse you. That's what he does. Right? That, that's the devil. And so I want you to note this. When it says the accuser of the brethren, right? What Satan does, he goes before God and he wants to accuse the brethren, but he wants to use people that are carnal to abuse brothers and sisters in the Lord. Usually it's in the world, isn't it? But you know, sometimes it's in the church. Just like Job's friends, right? Now, I know there wasn't a church then, but these were supposed to be his good friends. Right? Sometimes, ah, the Lord, the Lord kind of revealed this to me, Job, that you must be in sin. I'm not in sin. You see how they defamed him? You see how they basically misrepresented him? They falsely accused him? Right? He's the accuser of the brethren, and he works through people. They're not walking with the Lord. They're not hearing from the Lord. I want you to note that. Okay, so when we go now to back to chapter, chapter 12, verse six, uh, 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. This is a record in the tribulation. Now, we don't know exactly when. Right? We know that we're in the tri seventh trumpet. It takes us to the end. This is sometimes before that. But it's sometime in the tribulation. I believe it's right at the midpoint where Satan is cast out of heaven. That's when all hell breaks loose. At the abomination of desolation. Okay, so I want you to know that, that the time of the accuser of the brethren, it, it, it ended. He's cast from the government of heaven, right? In Ezekiel and in Isaiah passage, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. But he's still the accuser of the brethren until this time of the tribulation. And so when it says in verse 7, and when it says, and war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Notice in verse 8, it says, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So these ones, they're now confined to this earth, and that's in the latter half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, I believe. And so Satan no longer has access to accuse the brethren. But he's confined to this earth, and what's he going to do? All hell's going to break loose. Now, I want to ask you this question. Let's think about this. Who, what brethren are they talking about, accusing the brethren in the tribulation? Think about it. Is it the church? No, the church is already raptured. They're already in the presence of the Lord. Now, I understand we're still in this dispensation of the accuser of the brethren because the church is enraptured now. But I'm talking about in the context of chapter 12. When it says in verse 10, for the accuser of our brethren, who's, who's he talking about? I believe he's talking about Israel. When Satan is cast from heaven, no longer to accuse Israel before God, he's cast down, confined to heaven. What's he going to try to do? He's going to try to kill Israel. You see, that's what the context, I believe, is pointing to. Now, it doesn't mean that Satan is not the accuser of the brethren today. He is. He still has access to God. But in this portion of scripture where it actually spells out for the accuser of our brethren who's our I believe it's from John's perspective and the brethren is now Israel 
He's going to be cast out of heaven, no longer to accuse Israel, but he's going to try to kill Israel. I believe that that's where it's pointing to right here. Now, let me give you some more context of Israel. Michael is the angel that what? Fights for who? Ever read Daniel chapter 9? At that time, Michael shall stand up. This is Michael the archangel. He says, shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Who's Daniel's people? Israel. Verse 8. But they did not prevail, verse 8, nor was a place found for them in heaven anymore. So they're now confined to the earth. Now verse 9 says, so the dragon, the great dragon, was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole earth. He was cast to earth, to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Okay, so notice here, he's cast to the earth and the demonic realm, right, that has access to heaven to accuse, to accuse the brethren. Now, again, at this time, they're not accusing the church. They're accusing who? Those on the earth that they give their life to the Lord. I believe it's specifically because Michael the archangel is here, right? They're accusing Israel, accuser of the brethren. And notice it says, and he cast out Satan, his cohorts, to who? To this earth. So Satan no longer has access to heaven to accuse. He has been confined to this earth. That's the last three and a half years, and that's when all hell breaks loose. And we're going to see next week the dragon is going to try to kill, to exterminate, devour the woman, which is Israel. And we know that's going to happen in the last three and a half years. So all this is Israel, people. This is all Israel, I believe. Okay? And so let's keep reading. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. Now, it doesn't say the brethren. It says our brethren. So think about it. For the accuser of our brethren. Now, a loud voice saying in heaven. Now, to me, it doesn't say it. Could this be the, the church, the 24 elders? The accuser of our brethren? Who's our brethren? The church is in heaven. Remember the Stephanos? Right? The 12, uh, 24 elders there, the Stephan. Could this be our brethren, Israel? Remember the Gentiles and the Jews, all one in Christ? That great mystery in the end of the, end of the days, right? That mystery is going to be solved in Christ. Jews and Gentiles are going to come together. Could this be, right, the voice of the church saying, for the accuser of our brethren, our brothers in Israel? Could it be saying? It's possible. I think in the context of this passage, what we just read in Daniel, which I believe is described in the same time, I believe it, it probably is. It's a reference to Israel. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And I want you to know this. Once Satan is cast and confined to this earth, he can no longer go up and accuse. right, And work through these carnal people and carnal nations right, to accuse Israel. But what's going to happen, he himself, since he's confined to this earth, he's going to try to chase down Israel and exterminate them. And that's why Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, chapter 24, all of the discord, he says, you flee, flee to the wilderness. And we're going to see, as they flee to the wilderness, where they're going to flee. It's going to be to Jordan, which is Moab, a little bit south of Moab there, okay? And so verse 11 says, and they overcame him. Who's the they? 
They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Who's the there? And they did not love their lives. Who's the they? Who's the there? And who's the they? You know, I believe it's the same, our brethren. I believe it's speaking, it's underscoring Israel. That's what I believe. Because in this time of the tribulation, the church has been raptured. But we have brothers and sisters in the Lord from Israel that remain. They're preserved. They're protected. They're going to flee to the wilderness, right? But notice it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Just as we overcome, right, by the blood of the Lamb, they will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. They're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And notice it says, and they did not love their lives to the death. They're going to take a stand for Jesus. They're not going to be worried about perishing. They're going to take a stand for Jesus. And they're going to survive the tribulation, live unto the millennial kingdom. And they're going to fulfill not only the Abrahamic covenant, but this is a fulfillment of what? The new covenant to Israel. When you think about it, right? Has the new covenant been fulfilled fully? Not really. Because the new covenant goes out to Israel, Jeremiah chapter 31. So the new covenant has been fully fulfilled because Israel has rejected Messiah. It will be fulfilled right here by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so you can see all these parts move together. Okay, now I want to close with just giving you the scriptures on the here and now. Okay, so remember I talked about how Satan's diminishing power, right? Five different stages. What stage are we in now? Well, the stage that we're in now basically is that he's the accuser of the brethren. Now, in the context of chapter 12, when we see this verbiage written, it's the brethren of Israel. I want you to note this in, um, when it says, I forgot to mention this, when it says in verse 10 of chapter 12, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. When it says the accuser, um, the accuser of our brethren, in the NIV, it has a little bit different verbiage. Instead of the accuser of our brethren, hopefully I wrote it down here, it says, it says the accuser of our brothers. Now, who's speaking? The accuser of our brothers. I believe it's somebody in heaven, right? Because it says it. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. And so our brothers, it might be the church, I think, 24 elders. And he's calling what? Israel, their brothers. The NIV, it, it, when, it, when, when you read it, it's, it kind of sounds a little bit closer to that. It says the accuser of our brothers. It doesn't say the accuser of the brethren. And right here it says the accuser of our brethren. Who's the our? I believe it could be the church. So I believe this is a reference to Israel. And it makes sense. Because the church is already raptured at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so I want to close with this. Just giving you some scriptures now. And you can ponder this in your own time. The position that we have in Christ, right, with Satan and his diminished power at the cross of Calvary. This happened when, you know, when Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He has no more authority over us, the child of God. But how does he work? He works through basically deception, through temptation and deception. That's how he works. 
And so I want to give you these scriptures in closing just for you to hold on to and that you can apply to your life today because he is the accuser of the brethren to the church. Even though specifically here I believe it's referring to Israel because in the time of the tribulation. But right now he has access to God. We see in Job he has that, right? And he's accusing you before God. How's he doing that? Well, he's working through carnal people. Could be even a carnal Christian, right? In the name what? Satan means what? To slander you, to defame you, to falsely accuse you. Gossipers, right? That's what he's doing. He's going to God, says, hey, look at that person. And then he goes to somebody and he has them defame you, accuse you. That's his work now. Okay, so I'm going to give you these scriptures. Satan's most effective role is to tempt you. Did you know that? He has no power over you as a Christian, but he's going to tempt you to fall. He's going to tempt you and he's going to deceive you. Right? And so in James chapter 1, verses uh, 12 through 16, you can read that in your own time. I'm going to read verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. All right, so James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, you want to read. But in verse 30, it says, Lord, No one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. The reason I underscore this, it says that blessed is the man who endures temptation. I want you to note this, that God tempts no one unto sin. Okay, so when you're being tempted to sin, that is not of God. Now, God allows those things to happen, and maybe you're tested by them, but God himself never tempts you. Okay? So when you're tempted, right, to do drugs or to fornicate or anything like that, you know that that's directly from Satan. That's how he wants you to fall. Matter of fact, you should identify that. You know, this is Satan. Get behind me, Satan. This temptation is to make me fall. What I put in my body, what I do with my body, what I set my mind on, Right? This is directly from Satan. That's how he works. That's how he's going to have you fall. God, uh, Satan has no authority over you unless he kind of takes you in that manner. Okay? And then also, God doesn't allow you to be tempted more than what you can bear. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And so God may allow the temptation, but it's so that it drives you to him. And he's not going to allow you to endure anything that you can't bear. He says, no temptation, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Okay, So the Lord might allow Satan to tempt you. It's not the Lord tempting you, that he tests you, but he always allows you, gives you a way out. And you better take it. Right? Take that way out. Don't play with fire. Now, another way that Satan gets us through temptation, firstly, but it's through deception. Now, this is the time that we are now, the accuser of the brethren. Oh, look at so-and-so. Look at so-and-so. Look at what they're doing. I'm going to whisper in somebody's ear. Hey, look at what they're doing. Accuse them. Right? This is what Satan does. And so he's a deceiver. Also. He comes as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says, For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Spiritual words. You ever meet somebody? They're quoting scripture, spiritual words, but man, it is darkness. Satan can quote scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. The craftiness of Satan says, But I fear lest somehow... As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is so good. You know, 
following Christ, there's a simplicity to it. You know, I think oftentimes where Satan gets in is we make things so complicated. You know, usually God means what he says, and he says what he means. Don't try to read too much into it. You know, don't try to read too much into kind of people even. Just let it go. Maybe they mean what they say too, and they say what they mean. Don't try to read too much in it. Because, you know, oftentimes, I would say, maybe more than often, you're wrong. You could be discerning wrong. It's a very simple directive to follow Christ. It's about what you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord, right? It's upward and forward. Pray for people, right? I'm not saying to not have discernment, but I gotta say, sometimes people are so much occupied with other people that it destroys their life. Busybodies. If you find yourself having to know about everybody, you're a busybody. And you're probably in sin. It's between you and the Lord. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, what? Just as Satan deceived Eve by his craftiness. John chapter 8, verse 44 calls Satan the father of lies. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, he's the master deceiver. As I always mentioned, he's the con artist. And what does a con artist do? He gets you to believe the lie, and he takes you. One of the ploys of Satan. He tempts us, but then also he deceives us. Now, Satan is called the ruler of this world, the God of this world. And so, if you find yourself liking the things of this world, actually perhaps even loving the things of the world, you like those things of the enemy. When we start to like the things of this world, we become worshipers of the God of this world. Now, we're in the world. But we're now what? Of Christ. We're born anew. We're in the world. We're born of Christ. And the reason why we're in the world is to be set apart from them, is to make a difference, is to share the difference of living for Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us in our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Echo Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory.